Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the third and, so far, the final injury in our Ghostbusters retrospective series. I'm your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. And like I said, today we are discussing Ghostbusters. Now, not the original, that is the first entry in our retrospective series, but we are discussing the 2016 release of Ghostbusters. They didn't they didn't get creative with the title, nor did they get creative with the font. But like I said, this new movie came out just last year in mm-hmm. 2016 and they changed it up a little bit by an all-female cast yeah they did i know that when the trailers first dropped for this movie everyone was like what is this yeah and i remember talking with my friend matt who's a big uh ghostbusters fan and he said i'm okay with them having an all-female cast i just want to see what they do new with it is what he said because he was it wasn't so much that it was an all-female cast, but he was more or less looking for how he, how they could improve on the original. And I thought that was a pretty fair assessment. He hadn't seen it at that point. I think it was before it came out. But when this first came out, it got some serious backlash for its trailers. I do remember that. I remember on YouTube, it had more dislikes than likes. And yeah. I'm pretty sure they disabled the comments. Yeah. it was. It got some pretty bad reception. But I know that you and I, when we wrote down this retrospective to do we were actually and in fact we even in our last podcast we were kind of optimistic towards this one we were didn't really know what to expect because we both kind of want to go in with like clear minds and experience it for ourselves and not let anything on the outside influence our opinions right and i should preface it with this is my first time seeing the movie i did not go see it in theaters last summer same neither did i this is my first time with this series of the ghostbusters And the reason I was optimistic going into this, I had pretty much forgotten all reactions to it when it first came out. I remember, like we just said, it was kind of controversial on the internet. I remember Rotten Tomatoes was pretty generous towards it, and we'll talk about that Rotten Tomato score here in just a second. But otherwise, I knew the CGI would be a lot better, and especially the CGI in the first Mm -hmm. film for 1984 is Certain scenes are fairly impressive, and we did have some pretty serious issues with, like, a couple of those scenes that were really poorly done. Well, see, back then it really wasn't CGI, because I remember reading this one thing. They did the same thing with Back to the Future, where instead of, like, I know that um, Tron was the original, was the first movie to really implement CGI to, like, actually incorporate it into the film. But if I'm not mistaken, and they did the same thing with Back to the Future... I know with at least one. I'm pretty sure they did with two and three. But essentially what they would do is they'd they'd take an artist and artists would draw every single frame of that animation for like when they shot the beams or small things like that. And they would essentially draw onto the frame essentially and just end up superimposing it um, for the finished project. So with this new one, this is completely computer graphics. This isn't anything traditional like that we've kind of moved on and we've now used we're now using of course cgi which is a lot easier to a lot easier to do than it is hand drawing every frame of animation good point yes i mixed my definitions i meant to just say visual effects yeah 
the visual effects were pretty decent overall for the first, whereas I felt they weren't very good for the sequel. There are a lot of things that do hold up still, like the beams uh, shooting out from the proton packs and things like that. Yeah. But there are also some claymation that they use that's pretty dated. But if you want to listen to that, there's another podcast where we talk about all about all about that movie. Yeah, make sure to go back and listen to the first two entries in this retrospective series. But like I said, this came out July 15th, 2016, a great time for summer movies. And it is directed by, I I don't know how to say his last name, Paul Feig? Feig? I don't know. I don't know. Feig, maybe? Feig, that'd be my guess. He's directed... Like, mostly all Melissa McCarthy movies, which is kind of funny. So they've definitely worked a lot before, and he's worked with Kristen Wiig. He did Spy, which I didn't think was very good. I thought it was okay, but I thought it was also pretty crude. Bridesmaids, haven't seen it, don't care to see it. Not going to do a retrospective on this on these movies I'm listing off. Melissa McCarthy retrospective, not going to happen. Right. And <laughs> The Heat, which was Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy, didn't see it. So... Those are the movies in this one, Ghostbusters. Those are the movies this director is well known for. Right. And he also wrote the movie along with Katie Dippold, who has written 11 episodes of Parks and Rec and The Heat. Interesting. So I think Mm. the writing in Parks and Rec is uh, pretty funny. I didn't look at the episodes that she wrote. But yeah, so we really don't have the best talent in the world as far as behind the camera working right. on this not very well known not a lot of experience or the experience they do have i'd say it's just those really mediocre lowbrow right. humor films honestly right and kind of going off of that to one in the opening credits they do have this new corporation called ghost core which is a color on the tagline says columbia production company and i've heard that um uh when when the studio in this case, Columbia, when they feel that a that a project is not going to do so hot, they'll create an entirely new uh, production company, essentially, to wow. rake in the cash, and then they'll just they'll file for something, and then they'll be able to make at least some money off of that, since they went since they didn't make back their budget and stuff like that. And this one, they have Ghost Core, and we also just talked about the director who's done hardly anything since this. Nothing really of note, I would say, that's been impactful or anything. No. It's looking kind of rocky, and we haven't really started getting into the film yet, but it looks kind of rocky. And I know that that also probably didn't help with the negativity leading up to the release as well. Exactly. And the cast, from what I know, is a lot of these cast members are from SNL. I know Christian Wig had her start on SNL. Uh, Kate McKinnon is still on SNL. She does a pretty good Hillary Clinton. Uh, Leslie Jones, I believe, is on SNL. I think her, I think I just saw her on there with Gal Gadot doing some kind of Wonder Woman skit. I, yeah. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know if... Melissa McCarthy... Yeah, Melissa McCarthy has been on SNL. I've seen her on there before. Yeah. So a lot of these SNL women, which kind of makes sense because Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray... I don't know about Harold Ramis. Um, I know Bill Murray and Harold Ramis worked on like six or seven projects together. But I know at least Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray were from SNL. So there was all this kind of SNL background going on. So it makes sense they're drawing right from that pool. And we have the odd man out, Chris Hemsworth. 
Yeah, we'll talk about him. <laughs> Odd choice. It was an incredibly easy paycheck for him. I will yes. say that. Yes. And, I mean, who doesn't recognize Thor at this point? It's 2016 when this came out. So, Oh, yeah. Chris Hemsworth is very famous now. Well, IMDb, the users of IMDb have not been very generous to this movie. And yeah. I want to kind of talk about that in the Rotten Tomato score for just a second. Because I remember when this movie came out, it had a, as far as Rotten Tomatoes goes, a pretty high Rotten Tomato score. Which led me to believe, wow, okay, this movie was very well received by critics. Right. And, it, you know, it's going to be good. Well, IMDb has this at a 5.3. That is not good. And you'll, if you'll remember, I believe the first Ghostbusters, the original, was a 7.5. I think it was a 7.8. Is from what I remember. You're right. It was a 7.8. Well, the second Ghostbusters had a 6.5. Right. Which is, which is, Honestly, shocking now looking back on it, a 6.5. But right. a 5.3? They keep dropping by well, at least a point in a 1.2 or 1.3 every movie that is released. Yikes. So this is a very poor rating for IMDb. Oh, yeah. But That's very if bad. you go to yeah, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, this has a 74% certified fresh. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. It's a 74% certified fresh. Holy it has the... Cow. Rotten Tomatoes seal of endorsement. 74% of critics said this movie was fresh and not rotten. I'm very confused. I am so confused. <laughs> very confused. That doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. I mean, I, um... I don't get it either. Uh, rotten Tomatoes also translate their, translates their scores. For those of you who don't know, they also kind of, in a way, they translate it to, you know out of 10 like imdb does so it says it has a 6.5 out of 10 uh still a far cry that's a far cry from the 5.3 right it just none of this makes sense but the audience score on rotten tomatoes is 52 percent, which is the nasty bucket of popcorn or whatever it is it's yeah it's rotten right. even though 52 percent is over half right and that's pretty close to the imdb score so the audience seems pretty set on what their opinion is, which is 50% right around there. It's just interesting, though, and this could be a discussion for another time, absolutely. Yeah. But the IMDb rating and the Rotten Tomatoes rating are very different in what they mean, yeah. I feel. They're oh, yeah. very different on what a, what like a, like a 5.3 out of 10 means and a 52% means. Like, right. even though they are similar in that way... I think I still think it has like different connotations, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, they did give this movie, I would say, a pretty generous budget at one hundred forty-four million. That's yeah, that's very generous. Yes, and at the time after Ghostbusters two came out, Dan Aykroyd approached the studio not long after I read, and he wanted to do a Ghostbusters 3 with a budget of $150 million. At the time, with inflation and whatnot being today, that would have been way higher than $150 million in today's terms. Oh, yeah. So the studio, and I believe the third, his idea, I really didn't do a lot of research into this, 
but I believe it involved possibly like time travel or something, which is never a good sign when the third entry does that. But you know what I mean? That's always kind of a joke. Right, right, exactly. But that's from that's from what I read. So the studio scoffed, said, are you kidding? The sequel did very poor anyway, pretty poor anyway. Uh, we're not going to give you that much money. That would not make any sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, for that, for 1980, but probably about that point, and you want yeah. over a hundred... Over a hundred thousand dollars for a budget for a movie, and the when the last one what had like a budget of was it like thirty thousand? How much was the budget for the second one? Okay, the budget for the second one is I don't believe it's been officially released, but it's yeah. estimated around thirty seven million. Okay, that's seventy more million dollars to put in the pot to make a movie, and back in nineteen ninety, that's that's still that's a lot of money. Even more now, of course. Technically, it's about 110 million more. Yeah, which is insane to do. I mean, that is n- unheard of. That's not ever happened. Yeah. Well, I just looked, and it appears it was during the 90s. So Ghostbusters 2 came out in '89. So sometime in the 90s, I knew Aykroyd wrote a script, and it was titled Ghostbusters 3: Hellbent. Interesting. So they were transported to an alternate version of Manhattan called. Manhelton, where the people and places are hellish versions of their originals and where the Ghostbusters meet the devil. What? Okay, so, so not really time travel. Okay, so basically, so basically, they're just kind of continuing off of the idea from the second one then. Yes, I guess the goodwill has run out and it's become very evil or something. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I don't think that would have went over well. Yeah, I can kind of see why the studio uh, left him out of the office. (laughs) Right. So, and I do remember, um, hearing bits and pieces, especially when this new Ghostbusters was started up. I remember hearing things like, oh, they, they've had, they've tried to get a Ghostbusters 3 off to the ground for a long time. They've been doing different things and it's never worked. Uh, Bill Murray was always very on the rocks about coming back for a third film. Right. And I remember when they were finally talking about Ghostbusters 3, I'm pretty sure it was originally going to be the the, the main guys, the same people, except right. uh, Harold Ramis was, he had died at that point, I'm pretty sure. Right, yeah, he died, I think, 2014, right? Right, he did die in 2014. So they would have had somebody different but i just and then i remember them saying like no we're not even going to come back with those original cast members we're going to do a whole new thing with a all new female cast right. and we do see them uh those three come back and make guest appearances right on this Cameos, yes, they do. i guess you'd call the them. three yeah the three remaining ghostbusters that are still alive minus harold ramus do come back in some form of a cameo uh in this movie somewhere we'll talk about that too but I do think that this could work, though. Like having a brand new Ghostbusters movie for the twenty for the two thousands to be, like I said in the original, the uh, original Ghostbusters was like more like a time capsule for the eighties, and this could have this could have worked. This could have been a time capsule for the uh, the two thousands or twenty tens easily. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I do suggest it's pretty interesting reading. We can't go into all of it here. That would just take way too long. Yeah. Uh, just the series, uh, like the history of like Ghostbusters from Ghostbusters 2 up to the 2016 reboot. There is a lot that went on um, with the series uh, originally. And I, I just looked and there was going to be an all male Ghostbusters film. And I guess maybe it wasn't going to be these original guys. There was a report it's going to be Channing Tatum was one of them. Hmm. Other people I don't know. And it's going to be the Russo brothers directing. Interesting. That yeah, that that would have worked, I think, with Tatum and the Russo brothers. And like I said, and even in 2016, there was going to be a direct sequel. So there was a lot going on with this movie in those decades. Uh, like I said, Ghostbusters three Hellbent sounds like a Hellraiser movie to me. Yeah. Very weird. Ghostbusters meet Hellraiser. Not a good crossover. <laughs> uh, I, apparently, the directors who were just recently fired from the han solo movie you know phil lord and chris miller who did 21 jump street and lego movie yeah yeah they were in talks to direct so yeah go read the uh the wikipedia article over it it's pretty interesting there's a lot to it interesting so it kind of sounds like it got stuck in uh in development for just quite a while yeah it it was in develop the the prospects of a third film were in development hell for yeah almost 30 years probably holy cow well if you think about it yeah i mean if you think about it ghostbusters 2 since since ghostbusters 2 until this present one 27 years had passed right and i believe from the very original to the reboot was 32 years right yeah so so it's been caught in development for a long time and just finally came in got probably got its grounding and was able to be released interesting it's kind of it's kind of funny because we just uh reviewed the both blade runner films make sure to go check those out yeah and that was a sequel that it's like oh that's crazy you know normally they don't do sequels that that much later you know and technically this isn't a sequel but it still is reviving a three decade old franchise that had been dormant right and Blade Runner kind of did that too, except it's just night and day difference. Oh, it is. And this <laughs> is the kind of this is one of the big problems I had. I didn't stay in the Ghostbusters two review, but Ghostbusters two kind of has an issue where it came out way too way too fast. It came out at the tail end of eighty not of the eighties, and should have probably been released, probably been delayed for another five or so years so it could capture the nineties. Um, that feel like that would have at least made it a bit better because of how much of a time capsule these films seem to be or try to be. So this could have been a Blade Runner 2049 scenario where when they do make a sequel or a remake, um, there's a reason for it. And, there, and it fits very, very well into the culture and the society that it was made for, which this is, which is definitely what this film is trying to go for. But... Like you said, there's a night and day difference because with 2049, it has a very good and clear message that it's trying to send to a modern audience that's expanding on the original, which is already, I would say, almost timeless as itself. And this one, I can't say that because, in my opinion, they didn't really capture the 2000s or 2010s very well. I just don't think they're really trying to very hard. Right, and 
and we'll get into specifics here in just a little bit, but the, the problem is, I'm going to go ahead and say this now, this movie is so American that it hurts me. And <laughs> I'll save my opinions on why I think that, Aaron, for a little bit, but the problem is they, they're they not necessarily going for the culture, I would say, but they're going for what movies are like, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's no it's no surprise coming from this director, because if you look at his previous work, this follows exactly, it falls exactly in line with his previous right. work. It right. really doesn't try to do anything very creative, I guess, or going outside of the box or the norm, whereas I felt the original Ghostbusters definitely did that. Right. And that's what I'm saying, too. This could have been the time capsule that we were, that we were wishing for, but it doesn't seem to be that way. Some critics seem, I guess, to like it. I haven't really looked at the critics' reviews, um, but that 75% is pretty high. It is certified fresh, after all, but that's that's also on the borderline of being certified fresh, I believe. It's It's very surprising. But did the audience... What really matters is the audience, and that's reflected in the box office numbers. Right. This movie did not open at number one. It opened at number two. What beat it out? The Secret Life of Pets. Oh. So that should tell you something Ooh. right there. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, well, okay. that's kind of what happens. <laughs> but hear this. For okay. opening at number two, it did pretty well with 46 million opening weekend. That's not too bad. That's really not too bad, especially for a movie that I don't think too many were really excited about. Right, right. Now, usually what you want to do with the opening budget is at least make back the opening budget on opening night. This is what they this is what they try to strive for. You mean not just for the United States but for like Yeah, like worldwide. World. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yes, and okay, so 46 million and the budget was 144 million. They didn't really have that far left to go. Yeah. I mean, they still so. made a pretty sizable opening weekend. It wasn't by by any means a great opening weekend, but it was pretty no. sizable. No. It, I would say that kind of gives promise even though it's surprising Secret Life of Pets was in its second week and it had grossed 50 million the second week. Mm, yeah. So, but the problem is Ghostbusters went into week 2 and it dropped by 54%. So it dropped to number five. And then the next week, it dropped another 50% to number seven. And over the next four weeks, it dropped 50% every week. So by week like five or something, it wasn't, it didn't even make a million dollars. It was like 500,000. So this movie just went downhill super fast. So the domestic box office was 128 million. Ooh. What was the budget again? 144. Oh, no. It didn't even make back its budget, at least in the domestic box office. Right. So, for the foreign, it grossed $100 million. For a worldwide, it grossed $229 million. So, pretty much the same as the other two, but without inflation, of course. It, yes. Uh, it's only fair to compare compare with inflation. Yes. And like we said, for the the first film with inflation, 
was an insane 600 million plus just domestic. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. Which is, yeah, out, outrageously crazy. But um, so if you're going to go by inflation, this is the lowest grossing of the whole series. They just keep going down, everyone that's released. Yeah. So technically, yeah, technically for going off of inflation, this grossed 134 million. Well, let's just go from the top. Ghostbusters 608 million, Ghostbusters 2 253 million. Now remember, Ghostbusters 2 originally was 112 both inflation 253, and this with inflation was just a little little higher with 134. So, mm-hmm. the lowest grossing of, and that should tell yeah. you something, if Ghostbusters 2 technically grossed more. Yeah, right. And we definitely kind of trashed that movie last time. We were trying so hard to make sense of it, but we couldn't really, so. Well, something else I did not mention, we didn't mention last time, is between the first Ghostbusters, 1984, and Ghostbusters 2, 1989, there was a TV series, a Saturday morning cartoon series, totally 80s. If you've ever seen one, then you know what I'm talking about. Same animation, same everything. It's amazing. It ran from 1986 to 91, so it was roughly about two years later. Uh, so kids were familiar with it. They So I'm, I'm assuming kids were probably excited to go see Ghostbusters too. Right. And it this, it was called... It was really originally just going to be called the Ghostbusters, but with some like legal dispute or something, they had to put in the, the word real. So it says the real Ghostbusters. Hmm. Stupid. It ran for 144 episodes. And basically the premise is it's pretty much like exactly as the movie, except it's like, who's the ghost of the week? We got to go stop them and find them. Right. And Slimer, the green ghost is... Like their mascot and their friend, and he kind of talks. It's if you've seen the Santa Claus movies and you've heard the reindeer talking those, it's the same voice. Gotcha. And there are two episodes I watched. I watched roughly three episodes. I did not finish them. They were pretty hard for me to finish because I don't have that nostalgia feeling. So it's just like ah, this is not something that's very easy for me to right. finish. But uh, Citizen Ghost. For those of you who just want to know, I guess, is a direct sequel. It doesn't happen till like season five, I think, or okay. season three or something, but it's a direct sequel that goes back and tells you what happened after the first movie. And there's another one that it came out after the second movie. It's called Partner in Slime, and it's uh, somewhat of a prequel to the second movie. And it has, you know, the same characters and everything, and it keeps up with them. Right. The characters do look quite a bit different for the most part. There was also a comic series and Kenner Toys, who, you know, made those original Star Wars toys. They made toys for this. And I guess Slimer was so popular that for the fourth season, they changed the show entirely. It was called Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters, and it was... A new intro, and he was the main character now. It was all about him, like, kind of, like, haunting that hotel, I think. And there was, like, he had his own new kind of antagonist, a whole new cast of characters. And the Ghostbusters were kind of like his sidekicks now. So he became super popular in the show, but then they changed 
they changed the show back like after the like at the fifth season right just back to the real ghostbusters so and the voice of vinkman was actually the voice of garfield from the garfield cartoon Interesting. and it's funny because bill murray voiced garfield in the movie <laughs> interesting yes there's more interesting things also uh ernie hudson who played winston the the black guy in the movie both movies he wanted to be in the cartoon and he, they made him audition for it and he actually lost the part of his own character are you serious <laughs> yes he lost it to arsenio hall actually that's, got it over him. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> that is sad that's so funny oh that's actually really funny. <laughs> yes. Well, like I said, it did kind of further develop the Ghostbusters lore. I do could consider it canon. Uh, there are plot and character tie-ins with the first movie and then with the second movie. Also, Dan Aykroyd's character, whose name is Stance, he was voiced by Fred from the original Scooby-Doo cartoons. Interesting. And then after this show ended in 91, six years later came the extreme ghostbusters in 1997 and it only featured egon and he recruited his new university students for a new ghostbusters team and the original ghostbusters came back for the two-parter season finale and that was only on air i believe from like september to december and then it was canned hmm. so if you have nostalgic memories of the show I'm sure you would have no problem coming back to it. It's right. no Looney Tunes. It's no nothing like that that I could definitely go back and watch. Honestly, I really couldn't watch it. There's no point for me to watch it. It was incredibly geared towards that Y7 audience. Right. And But I guess if you're looking for more Ghostbusters and more lore, there was uh, a time between those two movies and then briefly afterwards there was this weird extreme ghostbusters revival and then we didn't get the new movie until 2016 interesting hmm. and i should note this is the first pg-13 ghostbusters movie wait this is pg-13 yeah pg-13 okay that makes a lot more sense yeah unless you watched the unrated cut like i did oh yeah okay that makes a lot more sense to me because i i went in thinking this is pg and they were Throwing around some jokes and stuff and things like that. I was like, this is <laughs> this is PG? Makes a lot more sense. Well, it's okay. just funny because the original was PG and we were a little surprised. We we're like, ah, this should be PG thirteen. There was elements of the second one that we thought should have garnered it a PG thirteen rating. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and this movie also was yeah, like I guess if this would have came out in the same time, like in the eighties, it may have got away with the PG. Maybe May they probably have would have had away. to censor a couple things, right. but that is a discussion we had in the previous two podcasts. So they Ghostbusters finally got the PG thirteen rating. Right? Yeah, Ghostbusters one came out right before PG thirteen was being put out. Yeah, and then Ghostbusters two, I think we determined that it wasn't nearly as provocative as the original. Yeah, except for a couple scenes that slipped in there, but otherwise it was yeah. very much geared towards the younger audience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So which version did you watch? Apparently, before this movie was even released, the director said he was going to release an extended cut with 
at least 15 more minutes of added footage, and by my estimates, this movie was nearly 18 minutes longer than the theatrical cut. Holy cow. Now, I'm pretty sure I watched the theatrical, because I just picked it up from Redbox. So if I were to guess, it was probably the theatrical version. You most likely saw the theatrical version. The extended cut is really pointless because mostly everything is dialogue. Really? Um, Lots of, it's like lots of added dialogue, some alternate scenes, some scenes a little longer. There is a continued extra subplot of Christian Wiig's professor or boyfriend. You remember him? Yeah. He pops up for no good reason. It's very stupid. There's also, I was going to talk to you about this because I have not seen the latest Fantastic Four film, but I've heard and seen a few clips of its some atrocious CGI. And I would say for the most part, this movie's CGI is pretty good, except there is a shocking additional scene where Rowan is walking through the hallways and one of the hotel ladies is in like her nightgown and she's like there's green slime all over my wall and i think it gave me a rash and she turns around and it's just this horrible purple like cgi goo thing Hmm. you know like those like liquid moving things from like terminator 2 or the abyss that's like coming out of her back and why did that why they put that in i don't know but it looked horrible i was shocked and also there is a longer dance scene with um chris hemsworth at the end did you see that in your version was there a long dance scene where he made Um, all the people dance i don't think so i heard it was like maybe like briefly shown and then it was shown in the credits or maybe not shown but i know in my version okay he just like stands on top of the hotel and like makes all the cops dance okay yes uh in the and yeah in the ending they I thought they were gonna dance. They, he got all the those. He got the army that was there to stop him. He froze him in a dance pose, but they didn't really do much after that. There was no dancing, essentially, uh, in my uh, version. Okay, there was a lot of dancing in my version. Oh come on! It was really interesting. Uh, also, there is another dance scene between Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig. And they do like this like routine that they remembered all the way from their childhood. And they're talking mm-hmm. about ghosts. And it's kind of an exposition scene where they're explaining to the, to the audience about the barrier between our world and their world. And I'm like, how would they even know that? There's a lot of times this movie where I'm thinking, how do they know that? Or yeah. there's a lot of really bad exposition where... They're like, let me explain everything to you. Do you know what this means? Tell me what it means. Okay, here's what it means. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have fun with this one. That's <laughs> Absolutely. Well, oh dear. those really weren't spoilers, but if you are just dying to see Ghostbusters, the sequel or remake, I'm sorry, and you're still with us, then make sure to pause it, go watch the movie. Watch theatrical or extended, it really doesn't matter to me. Personally, right. I'm, I can't recommend the extended version because it really doesn't add anything to the movie at all. Mm-hmm. Unless you just adore this movie, then I guess spend more time in the world. Sure. Right. 
But no, uh, so go watch it, I guess, because we're going to spoil it. <laughs> yes, there will be quite a few spoilers in this. This kind of follows the track of the original in terms of some story beats, but it does have its own storyline, so it doesn't copy completely off of that. Yeah, you're right. But the big problem I had with that, with this, is the thing that they did right with the first one is they didn't take too long explaining everything right how they met how they got together how do they how do you make this gadget how do you do this this is not batman begins okay we don't need to know everything right this is very much i saw what they did here by the end i'm like okay i see what you did this is ghostbusters begins the origins they're really showing you how the team gets set up together they do have a boss fight but they're probably really hoping everybody loved it so much that they're going to come back for a sequel and that'll be less exposition and world building whatever you want to call it right and more of what we were hoping for at least i would say so that was probably one of my major issues i had throughout this movie is it took way too long to set up the characters i felt and once it did set up the characters i had a really hard time connecting with them because i think this i i did have a, an issue with the humor there were some funny aspects to this movie, but some of it was like, okay, we get it. Like Kate McKinnon's character, the blonde one, probably my least favorite character in this whole movie. Since we're on the humor, um, okay, if I were to wrap up this entire movie into one sentence, it would be this, and I have it on my notes. It would be, here's the joke, let's explain it. Yeah, And let me, let me... I'm just going to say right now that the humor in this movie did not work for me at all. There were some funny things that I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. It made me chuckle. But for the most part, I almost couldn't stand some of this humor because they would have a very simple joke and be like, oh, hey, that was funny. So let's drag it out for this entire scene and then make it go places that you wouldn't even logically think it would go. For instance, uh, the scene when they had the interview with Chris Hemsworth's character is a perfect example of what I mean. Because it begins with like just them talking to him and like, that interview and stuff. Just like normal. And then it gets on to talking about how good he looks. And then starts talking about his cat. And then starts talking, oh wait, no, it's not a cat, it's a dog. And then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, he's also a web design. Uh, he also works in web design. So he made logos for us. Which, by the way, web design is not logos essentially <laughs> that would be graphic design yes but i digress they then he then goes on to show them random logos that don't make really any sense at all like a hot dog above a house and yeah. small things like that now it is kind of funny because they pull out the original ghostbusters logo and they're like nah i don't know about that one and they kind of move on from it um that was but then way. Yeah, and then, but then there are just, this entire scene just takes steps that you would not logically think, that you would, there is no logical progression for these jokes to happen, whereas, compared it to the original, the jokes were so funny and so clever that they fit so perfectly into their scenes, because the scenes were written along with the jokes, and they were written through and around and all sorts of stuff, so that way when the joke finished, it made a lot of sense and the scene was just that much funnier and it made it made it easier to go back and watch it again because these jokes were 
sometimes so complex that you wouldn't catch everything on the first viewing and you when you went back you would be able to watch it and catch even more this one is not so much like that it feels like the it, it feels like they didn't think that the audience was smart enough to know what was funny and so they just took things and they just drug and they just drug it out like the scene with the mayor essentially when they were talking about i think it was like the cats out of the bag or something something like that and they just pulled the joke to such an extreme that it got to it went past that it was just oh this is uncomfortable but to a point where it was just frustrating for me for me i did i mm, i almost couldn't stand this movie just because of the of the jokes alone that's not to say that every joke is bad i did laugh a couple of times but for me mm, it was a no-go for that well and i i I 100 agree with that and when when things were funny it was not the same kind of funny, nor was it the same kind of humor. Yeah. From the the first movie's humor was very sophisticated. It was very dry humor. It really wasn't trying too hard. Whereas this movie, it's just like, oh, haha, that's funny. Like, and it's just all very like surface level humor, talking about people's appearances or some kind of situation. I mean, like you're talking about the interview scene. The thing that I thought was the only thing I thought was funny was when Christian Wig said, "Like he's so good looking," and Melissa McCarthy said, "Kevin, him? Are you kidding me? Oh, poor guy! You know, like he's got it rough looking like that. You know, I'm like okay, yeah. that's that's funny, but uh, but still, that's nowhere near the humor of oh yeah the original. And right. I would say this movie just doesn't really know." where it's going it doesn't really know how to use humor in the movie and i'd say it it suffers from what happened with the second movie yeah i'd say to an extent yeah where are we going with this movie and i just found myself asking and okay before i before i go into that i was really afraid this movie was just going to be like sex jokes Mm -hmm. because that is sadly the humor of today's generation and today's age it's right. all very lowbrow humor, fart jokes, sex jokes, whatever, stuff like that. And I was afraid that's where we were going to go. And we got a little bit of that. Thankfully, not as much as I was worried we were going to get. Right. But like I was saying, this movie really just, in the extended cut, did not help at all. This movie just doesn't know where it's going. It, it's trying way too hard and... The whole point of a remake is to do your own thing, not to t- copy the original, but do your own thing and set it apart. So they're both equally valid interpretations of whatever story you're creating. <sighs> this movie really missed the mark with the humor and with the story. I just don't think it knew where it was going. I was just sitting there during the movie and probably like half an hour in, I'm I just kept asking myself, why? Why? What is the point of this? If this is all you're going to do with the movie, what was the point of spending $144 million and doing right. this? Right. And see, that's kind of the issue, too, is that they, luckily, they, I'm, I'll go ahead and say this, they did do a pretty good job of capturing the style of the Ghostbusters and incorporating it into a more modern setting. Although they could have done a very, they could have done a better job at it, but they did do a pretty good job at 
making sure that the style and things were pretty much in line of a Ghostbusters movie. And like you said, this is a point that I I actually didn't think of. But yeah, there are, the humor is kind of on the same level as as the original two Ghostbusters, where it's it's kind of funny, but it's not like overly sexual like a lot of comedies are today. So in some sense, this does still feel like a Ghostbusters movie. But the part that is just, I would say the end-all, be-all of this movie, or any Ghostbusters movie, it's the jokes, which we've we both come to the conclusion that they just aren't really all that funny. There are some there are some pieces that are funny, but when you look at, as, at the movie as a whole, it's forgettable because the yeah. jokes are not clever enough. Or I feel like... And this is kind of my my big thing, too. This movie likes to play it very, very safe. Yes. And that was one of the biggest issues I had with this movie was that it played itself too safe to a point where it was not enjoyable. Because in in the original two Ghostbusters, and I'm, I don't want to try and compare it too much to those because it is its own thing, like you said. But it is a Ghostbusters movie still, after all. So... In the original two, the go- the jokes kind of took a risk because it the audience had to be paying attention and really involve themselves into the film to get what to get what the funny part of the scene was, which is always at the very end. Whereas this one, it makes a joke, but then explains everything to you, so you know what joke is being said. You know, oh, that's the punchline, and you you can't miss it. You know, yeah. So. And that's kind of the problem with a lot of movies today and remakes just in general. They're playing it so safe that they're forgettable. I I can almost guarantee you that in 10, 15 years, or if it hasn't happened already, this movie is going to be forgotten. And people are going to be like, oh, there was a remake of the Ghostbusters? What? If there hasn't one already uh, at that time. Which I think is not good for a film to be, to be on that level. Because... If a film is, if a really good film, it's, if, if a film is really good, then it should last for years, if not decades, if, if not forever, because it's made, it's made its impact. And I can kind of say the same as a bunch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films is, although my, me personally, I find them to be forgettable. They are good enough where you can say, oh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole kind of impacted cinema in a, in a way where they realize, hey, we can actually create universes and all sorts of stuff. This one does not do that, which is, which I don't like having to say because it's a Ghostbusters movie and I love, the, we both love the original. The yeah. second one, not so much, but the original just, it was such a time capsule, but this one just didn't know how to capture the 21st century in a creative and, in a creative way that where if you were watching years later, you'd be like, oh yeah, now I get it. Now that's what this time period was like. Well, and I also, throughout the movie, I was thinking, this movie is eerily similar to both Scooby-Doo films, especially, I would say, the second one from the yes. early 2000s. Yes, I actually wrote that in my notes. Yeah. That yeah. this is Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Yeah, yeah, well, th- yeah, this is Scooby-Doo 3, now it's a, it's it's more of a sequel to Scooby Doo almost than a remake I guess yeah of yeah. Ghostbusters I would say it's it's honestly more similar to that franchise right 
if you just look at the animation, um, some of these creatures, like that green monster thing, we got a green pterodactyl in Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Some of those ghosts look very similar to Scooby-Doo. And that movie was the early 2000s. And I rewatched those with my sister like a couple years ago now. It's probably been about a year, two years. They don't hold up. They're not very good. Um, right. So, and it's not good when I'm, when a movie is making me think of a movie that is not very good. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah, I would say the same thing. <sighs> Well, should we get into a little bit of the positives? So, because I, I don't think this movie is a complete wash, even though no. a lot of it is incredibly bland. And a lot of the times you're just thinking to yourself, what is the point of this movie? Why am I watching this? The villain is incredibly weak. I would almost go as far to say as what villain, because he only oh, yeah. shows up in a few scenes. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute then. I don't understand this villain at all. Is Was there, like, I know in the second one, there was, like, this really quick exposition that, like, explained everything. And if you weren't listening, then you're going to be confused on the villain. Yeah. I think that's kind of how this one was. But it was just ultimately pointless. And I felt like there was a vision of where this movie was going, kind of, with this villain, with this Cataclysm 4 or whatever. Yeah. And then when we got there, I'm like, this is it? Okay. Uh <laughs> It's stupid. He just he just knocks over buildings, and they're easily can defeat these ghosts very easily. And right. uh, but I don't understand this villain at all. I'm not explain. They don't explain it to me at all. I'm on the same level as you. I don't. I really understand this villain at all either. They try to explain it, and and this oh, and this super forced scene where he's like where he's like essentially talking to himself. He's like, "You were bored your whole life, but soon you won't be," or something along those lines. And he has ghosts essentially stored up i think in right paintings or whatever and then but it doesn't make sense yeah and i get it right the the villain i get it you know they want to go for a villain that's more realistic essentially the guy was bullied and so he's kind of like his revenge i think if i'm not mistaken i don't really know then we i didn't catch it and the problem is they don't cement this villain very well at all. He has no emotional connection to the Ghostbusters or really anybody for that matter except the ghosts that are in the movie which shouldn't even be what the emo- where the emotional connection is in the first place. I don't know. Maybe it was pulling an Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he just wanted everyone to notice him essentially and he didn't want to really want to be a nobody anymore maybe. Which, by the way, I did write in my write down in my notes that he that this movie was kind of kind of looked like Amazing Spider-Man two in pieces with Electro and stuff. Sure. But yeah, I don't know. Sure. Well, I, both my I watched this with my dad, and we were very confused on this villain. The motivation is incredibly weak. We know nothing about the villain. Everything he's doing is not explained and if it is it's not in a very organic way or it's in a very cliche way which frustrated me because a lot of this movie was spoon feeding the audience about different things they would do something and they're like do you know what this is and they say no what is that and then they would go and explain it and kind of the same thing with this villain except i'm like really this is the villain of the movie and it just doesn't make any sense and it's very weak it's very small scale 
And like you're saying, we can't really connect with this villain at all. And there's like some funny moments with them when they're like, hey, you need to go clean up this clogged toilet. And he said, nothing would make me happier. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, it's a weak villain. And I'm also going to say these characters are pretty weak. Oh, yeah. I was just so frustrated by these characters because they were so one dimensional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. That's And this is also a big problem I had is that in the original... Their characters were so unique. Every single one yeah. of them, no matter which one you, no matter which one you met, they instantly just kind of engraved themselves. And where if you saw one person, like, oh, I know exactly who that is. Whereas in this one, I was getting confused because a lot of the characters were either not developed enough or they were so bland that I just didn't care. The main character is a big one. She is. I do not find her enjoyable to watch at all. She's kind of a doofus. And yes. it's sad because Bill Murray in the original was so interesting because of the way awesome. that he reacted to situations and things that he did. It was it was interesting to watch him go. But in this one, uh, she is kind of dumb. <laughs> and in fact, I mean, yeah. I got to the point where I was like, how did she get a professor job at a university if she's this dumb? Which, okay, I get it. This movie is going for comedy, and that's fine. And this movie is definitely trying to get into the feminists' uh, movements that's been happening lately, which is not a problem. Right. But, at the very least, can you make your characters interesting? Or at least develop them enough so that way I can understand why they act this way? Because I get that yeah. for none of the characters in this movie. And the most interesting, which is Holtzman, I've seen a thousand times. And it's not its not original. Nothing about this film, and I, I mean this, nothing about this film screams originality to me. It, it's just so incredibly bland that when that's all said and done, I'm probably going to forget that this film existed when we're done with this podcast. <laughs> when I get done editing it. I will too, and... The characters, I don't know, they were trying to be a certain way, and it was to a fault, because eventually it just got old really fast. Melissa McCarthy's character was always like, oh, you think you're such tough stuff? Well, you're not. Or, you know, hey, you think, you know, just always that aggressive little Rottweiler trying to fight with everybody about everything, right. and, you know, I'm so much better than you, and what do you think you're doing? Right. And uh, Holtzman... The is that the blonde one? Yes, the crazy blonde one. She was my least favorite character. She was so annoying because she was always doing weird things. She was always hanging back. Nothing was ever serious. She was way too cool for everybody. Everything was a joke and she was just her eccentricity was not captivating. It was off-putting. Yeah, and like you said, Kristen Wiig's character was a horrible lead because of how bland she was and just like, gosh okay let me go just take a nap right Ugh. right put me to sleep and the black lady who was played by leslie jones she i don't think she was very funny either like we could kind of boil down their comedy into just one action which was yell run away or act extremely goofy and not in a clever way, but in just like a really stupid way where it's like nothing is serious mm -hmm. and I'm 
too good for all of you. And then Chris Hemsworth was just incredibly stupid. Like, literally, his character was literally written as a stupid buffoon. And I'm like, okay, funny once throughout the whole movie. It's like, okay, what is the point? Right. Or is this, I don't get it. They never expand on his character. So that way it makes it funny in any sense. He's just an idiot just because he's an idiot. Which, I, I don't know. Is that like a common thing for this movie to kind of paint men as being dumb because it kind of feels like that's what this movie is doing at least with his character which is fine i mean if if they have one guy character that is dumb and really kind of just silly then that's fine but we have his character and then you've got the guy from the beginning who's kind of like a who's kind of a scaredy cat and he was a scaredy cat who pooped his pants bill murray's character doesn't believe them Right. The mayor is an idiot. Right. And his, which they were definitely uh, cribbing from the sequel with the mayor and his assistant, where they're always trying to label them as frauds. And and the Ghostbusters were never popular in this movie like they were in the other ones. Right. Everybody thought they're crazy frauds. Right. And that's, Uh, and I do find that to be, at least in this one, they kind of give a reason for it. People just kind of think, oh, you're just, you're being silly for trying to do that kind of stuff, you know. But that also does kind of raise the question, which I think is pretty interesting for this movie to raise, is that, well, actually, I'd say almost any any time period, women have not gotten as much respect as men have. And definitely in this, in our society now, it's beginning to change a lot, a lot more than it has in the past. And we're trying to treat people a lot more equal, no matter who it is and stuff. But this movie does kind of raise an interesting question, which was that... Men, which in this case is the original Ghostbusters, I would say, they did this and they got fame for it, but they're doing this and now they're being they're being considered frauds, which is interesting, I would say. And I think that's even probably good for this movie to raise. The problem is, it's only for, it only feels like it came out in that one scene and kind of explored it in pieces throughout the movie, but never really dove for it. It never really went so deep into it where, he, where it was very, very poignant on what it was trying to say or what it was trying to bring up. And like we said, it's it's unmistakable that this is going for the feminist movements that have been happening lately. But that's not to say that you or I, because I know we have the same feelings on this, it's not to say you or I are totally against you know feminist movements and, and, or whatever. That's not the case. In fact, for me personally, I kind of implore it because that equality between genders, I think, is important. But the problem is, I feel like this movie needs to explore that idea more, not just say, hey, by the way, you know. Yes, don't do it in a very surface-level right. way, where it's incredibly obvious, but then it doesn't go anywhere with it. Right. And that's just the problem. I wish this movie would have dove deeper into this, because this, I think, is an interesting topic. It is, but also don't be preachy Oh, absolutely. It. So don't they were too shallow but then they also could have been too preachy right. about it which would have just turned everybody off because that's not how you really convince anybody of your cause or your side right but this movie i just i don't think it really understood what it wanted to be yeah i think you're right its identity is kind of all over the place it, it's a shallow it's a shallow reboot that 
it really just I don't know. And that's just the problem with most modern comedies today is they're not they're not very deep. The humor's not very sophisticated. Uh, a lot of one-dimensional characters and it's very forgettable and sadly that's what Ghostbusters this this movie right. did. Uh, and we can kind of talk I mean so far everything we've talked about is negative. There's not a whole lot of positives to it. We've kind of been mentioning them here and there but yeah. Yeah, I mean I thought the opening was a pretty good hook except it really lost steam after that. Yep. It's a good hook. I thought the use of colors was really well done except after a while I got really tired of those greens in their Chinese place. There's a lot of green. I was like, oh, okay, some of these colors are like like way too over the top. You're oversaturating the screen with them. And even there's one moment, I can't remember what happened, but I, maybe they had like their proton lasers out or whatever, but it, it like actually like washed out all of the colors and it was just a horrible contrast of what happened. I'm like, oh, that, that looks really bad. Um, the CGI is fairly good. Although it reminds me of Scooby-Doo. I was very interested with what was going on with the end when he transformed into the Ghostbusters logo. And then he came out of it, uh, the monster guy, the Rowan at the end. And then he, you know, became that giant, you know, Ghostbusters, Ghost Boogeyman. I was like, okay, that's really cool. I really like that. The CGI looks good. But it went nowhere. His master plan was to just start knocking down buildings. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, really? We go from these really cool ghosts. I think the fight, like the 300 style fight scenes were probably a little much for the movie. A lot of tonal changes with that. And it really didn't know where it was going. And it was fairly easy to defeat the enemy without any repercussions. And I was really surprised in the end when they said... You know, of course, don't cross the streams. And what do they have to do? They they cross the streams, but they're like, it's not working. So then they just uncross the streams. And I'm like, okay, no repercussions? Okay. Right. right. <laughs> Towards the end, I had a lot of questions. I was like, okay, why is that not doing what that said it should? Or the movie's breaking its own rules, or that's totally illogical within the rules the movie defined for itself. Right. So those were... I'm I'm getting back into the negatives again, but those positives are just really small. Right. But otherwise, this was Ghostbusters Begins, and let's just be really bland. And and my dad made that point when we were watching it. He said this movie is more about their careers, like how did they get started? Who were they? It's just more about their career than actually hunting ghosts because we're like an hour into it, and there's barely been anything to do with right. ghosts. Right. And for me, too, I'll give some positive. I think that the pacing of this movie, although sometimes inconsistent, maybe it's a bit different with the director's cut, but I found it to be really fast. Totally different. Just the opposite. Extended cut, the pacing is horrible. Interesting. Then maybe the theatrical cut is the way to go if you're wanting to watch this movie. But I found it to yeah. be really, really fast. And <laughs> and for me, I actually kind of enjoyed it because Ghostbusters 2 was quite slow. But this one went really, really fast, and it kind of kept you interested, and almost to a point, at least the beginning, almost to a point where she's like, what joke was that? Oh, too bad, I gotta keep moving, you know, and then just kept going with the jokes, albeit not the best jokes, but that's, we've already talked about that. So, the pacing for me was alright, and the, at least in the opening, it does kind of slow down and get find its footing, and then kind of has okay pacing, but not, not great pacing. It's enough to keep you interested. I guess the extended cut is... Not so much that way. From I mean, 18 minutes for extended cut is a lot these days. Well, and especially for a comedy. Yeah. 
It's really supposed to be a comedy. I understand they're really going for action in certain areas, but the original Ghostbusters is a comedy. This, all these people are comedians or su- supposed yeah. to be anyway, for the most part. So most comedies don't go over two hours. That's incredibly rare. Yeah. There are certain genres that don't go over that time limit. This was two hours and fourteen Holy minutes. Cow. Yeah, mine was. I think a, we'll see however long the theatrical cut was, which is an hour and yeah, about two hours. An hour fifty six minutes. So you had you were under two hours. I was over. This reminded me a lot of the second movie with the pacing Oof. because we took forever building up to things. Right. And the villain remained in the shadows pretty much until the very end, which is exactly what the second right. one did, which is. A horrible movie to take as your template but sadly this one did and i mean it didn't help that i did keep having to pause it because of something a, a commitment i kept having to kind of deal yeah. with but regardless yeah the pacing for the extended cut was horrible it was incredibly long and drawn out yeah. boring subplots we already discussed in the beginning of this podcast that really didn't need to be there there was like a couple extra jokes that I found were in the extended cut that I was like, okay, those are pretty funny that were missing from the theatrical, but they're, it's not not worth yeah. it. The jokes weren't that yeah. good. And, that. Yeah, and continuing on with some more positives, I, I think you did mention this, but the colors in this movie are very, they pop a lot. Um, sometimes they don't always work, but they do <laughs> keep it somewhat visually interesting. Um, yeah, some of the jokes are pretty funny, but not not all of them, which land... Um, like the original does. This has a bigger epic feel when it comes to the climax, and I do really want to talk about that because I don't feel the same as you do. In my own mind, I kind of do wish that the original kind of tackled this kind of a climax where they essentially fight an onslaught of, like, an army of ghosts, essentially, which the original doesn't do. It's very... The original is very chill with this moment. It probably would have technically been too much to do yeah it, it most likely would have been just technically too much um but that would have been really interesting to see in with that kind of a tone in the original and everything that was up with it maybe it wouldn't have worked out the best but it would have been interesting to see if they were able to incorporate that it, it kept it more lighthearted. yeah yeah some more positives um i don't know i guess seeing bill murray back was kind of funny and how he was dr heist this time instead of vinkman and I think he did a pretty good job. He was the skeptic. Yeah, yeah, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, he was the skeptic in the original, but then he was even more skeptical. And surprisingly, the ghost killed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, just the irony of his character and stuff. They do have an exorcist reference, which I thought would be kind of funny. Kind of like the original. When she twists her head? Yeah, yeah. And when she's probably throwing up that stuff. That too, yeah. The When the twisting of the head, I was like, okay, that's kind of inventive. Although that, that scene was kind of weird in itself. That, that was almost hokey, though. With Melissa yeah. McCarthy jumping like a ninja and those yeah. ninja movies, you know, where they're on wires. and was, Yeah, that was, that was hokey. Right. Uh-huh. Right. And so, yeah, those are some of my positives. I think you got most of the ones that I was going to say anyways. But the problem is these are kind of shallow positives. Like, oh, the colors look good. Or some of the fights were pretty fun. Yes. That's that doesn't that's not what makes the movie. The, what makes the movie is the substance, which we touched on just a second ago, but we even we said that it's eh it's there, but there's nothing there's nothing that they do to explore that idea, which is one of the most important parts to a movie, regardless of whatever happens on the outside, what's on the inside, which is 
definitely more of a feminist thing and stuff like that. That's what matters. I think I mentioned this in a review I did for Edge of 17, a written review. It's on the website, which I do say that although this film on the outside looks eh, like a regular teen movie, what's on the inside is what matters, which is really good writing that really cements its reality to be to make it come to be a really a, a good film for teenagers to enjoy because that film gets down in the dirt it's like no this is actually what it's like whereas a lot of the other teen movies kind of have a fantasy like aspect to it and i guess going ahead and moving on to the climax i don't feel the same as you in fact i feel almost the complete opposite this climax up until this climax, I was like, okay, I can buy it. This movie, I can buy it. You know, it's hokey and it explains its jokes kind of a bit too much. But I get where this target audience is and I understand that. Not my kind of movie, but that's fine. I'm, I was staying with it at that point. Then the climax hit. And this movie got, for me, it got infinitely worse. Because my biggest issue with this movie is the fact that this movie never shuts up. It never gives the audience a chance to just yep. breathe or to say, oh, that's what that is. Like the original, it was a bit slower, but it had that, that playful tone and it paused at points for you to kind of catch up and kind of breathe. This movie never has that. There is never a point in this movie where it kind of stops and goes and kind of lets the audience kind of take in what's happening or what has happened in the past or things like that. This movie never shuts up it is constantly talking or something is constantly happening and that's not and there is not a scene more evident than the climax which is honestly what ran this movie into the ground for me was because this is where the entire movie just goes cliche as it possibly can and we have the ghost army and we have the villain who has just taken over chris hemsworth and there's so many things and they're cracking jokes that aren't even funny and trying to do one-liners that are almost cringeworthy and things are happening. It's just like, can we just, can we just slow down for a moment so I can figure out what's happening? And they never do that. And it just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going until it finally reaches the end and it goes, okay, we're done. And then just, it's done. One of the bigger things for me, and I think you, meant, and you mentioned it earlier, was the Ghostbusters logo, how it kind of came to life. That was almost what sent me mm -hmm. over the edge because it was like, how much fan service do they think that they need for this movie? And maybe, that's just, maybe that was just me for the moment because I was definitely not liking this in the first place when it happened and then when it kept going and then next thing you know, the logo kind of pops up and it's animated. It's okay, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. But then the ghost in the logo comes to life and then does absolutely nothing. It's like how much fan service do they think that we need, you know? So for me... I can't say the same about this climax. This climax is honestly what ran this movie into the ground for me. It it, it was just not good in my opinion. Yeah, and I can understand all of those points. And I had my issues with the climax too. Like the 300 style fighting, although it was cool, it was... It just didn't really fit with the movie. And yeah, I'm the opposite because I liked that Ghostbusters logo yeah. thing. Um <laughs> And the the one thing that I really didn't like about the climax was I felt like there wasn't a vision of where it was going and it didn't seem as destructive as 
they thought it was going to be. It all seemed fairly isolated to just that area. And then I was I just scoffed because once he became the giant pillow guy, he just started knocking down buildings. And I'm like, so you're basically just going to be Godzilla now? Okay, that's not very... I don't know. It just seemed like it was building to something a lot bigger. And right. I did think the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was fun um, when they when he squished him. Yeah. And then they popped him with the Swiss Army knife. She's like, sometimes you just need a Swiss Army knife. I like yeah. that. Uh, something I, I really didn't like about how the climax ended was when the Rowan monster, whatever, ghost monster, grabs Melissa McCarthy and they go into that black hole vortex thing and Kristen Wiig jumps in there and is like flying towards her it just made me think of that terrible take on me music video oh yeah the not the original but the redo the newer redo where they're just like flying through the air go check it out listeners youtube it and she's just like flying towards her and then somehow she gets a hold of her honestly i was afraid they were going to kiss just i was like oh my gosh are they gonna kiss yeah See, <laughs> and then they don't this kiss. was confusing for me did were you the same as me where you got a huge big hero six vibe because i did oh yeah yeah well i should be honest listeners i fell asleep for half of big hero, hero six but i woke up for the end yes <laughs> so all i saw was the beginning and end. that's not really spoilers um, i don't think is it I I don't even know, (laughs) but it didn't. Okay. And I was so incredibly frustrated because they're like the, the portal is closing. We reversed it somehow. I don't remember really how they did it. Maybe it was had to do with crossing the streams. No repercussions about that though. But I'm like, okay, that's not going to work because that line is just going to snap because the portal should have been closed. Right. But magically, it stayed open just in time for them to get out. And then I'm like, oh, dang, they're going to go busting through the hotel. And that's going to hurt. No, the doors magically fly open for them. And I'm like, ah, that was way too, like, neat and tidy. And it didn't make any sense. And their hair was gray, which was stupid. Yeah, why? And... I did like how Chris Hemsworth kept, like, throwing his food, and then he just would, like, ask something, and it would, like, magically come to him. Yeah, that was pretty funny. (laughs) They're like, are you a wizard? How are you doing that? Uh, That was funny. But, yeah, it was a very unsatisfying end. And then we got Sigourney. Did you see Sigourney Weaver? No, I missed that. Oh, you missed it. You didn't stay. You shut it off. Oh, was that during the credits? Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver is Holtzman's mentor. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, she's like, this is my mentor, and it's Sigourney Weaver, and so that completes the, aside from Harold Ramis, but, and I thought it was a good idea to have Ernie Hudson be the, uh, Leslie Jones's uncle. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was kind of funny. He, he knew what goes for, he's like, that's a Spectre 5 or whatever, and Bill Murray had the biggest one, and yeah. I thought Bill Murray's was fairly decent, except they didn't utilize him very well. Yeah, yeah. He could have injected some pretty good humor into this, but he didn't. Yeah. Pretty much a sitting dummy the whole time. But, yeah, and then apparently, I didn't stay for it, but I looked at the very end of the credits. Probably nobody stayed for this. There is a reference. It's like, they're like listening to something, and the Holtzman character says, what's Zool? Zool was the demon from the first yeah. one, so clearly they're gonna hopefully they're hope 
Not, yeah. not hopefully for me, but hopefully for them, make a sequel. And I'm assuming Zool, there's going to be an updated Zool right. in it for the enemy. Interesting. Yeah, I this one I really couldn't stay for the credits for. I once the climax ended, I shut it off. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, technically, there is a sequel in development right Great. now. Same writers, same team. Great. <laughs> So, listeners, it's very possible we will be back here. It'll probably be in like a couple of years, honestly. But maybe. That remains to be seen. It's currently in the development phase on IMDb. Right. So maybe, hopefully this one doesn't get caught in development hell like this last one was. Or maybe it does. Hopefully it does. (laughs) Hopefully it does and dies. Yes. (laughs) Or we get too old. I know some movies have been in development hell for like 80 years or something. 60 years i mean like the lord of the rings trilogy yeah. and certain films like that are just take forever to get developed but hopefully this one will stay there yeah and die but anyways alan what is your rating and recommendation oh boy. for the 2016 ghostbusters all right in my own humble opinion if the climax was different I'm maybe I'd have a different viewpoint from this movie, but that's not what we're here for. And that's not what happened because for me, I may, may have been able to stretch it and recommend this movie very little because of what happens pre climax and things leading up to said climax. It wasn't terrible. It, was passable. It wasn't anything really all that special, but it it kept me engaged, kind of. It kept me entertained, I'll say that. It kept me entertained for that first hour and a half-ish. And then, of course, we get that climax, which, for me, did, didn't do anything good. In fact, it made the, worst, made the film so much worse. And there are things in this movie, like, we, I know we had talked about it, but the tone in this movie changes so much and just so hard that it becomes hard to focus on what exactly this film was trying to say. The original has a constant tone throughout the entire movie, which is, oh, this is goofy, you know, but it's meant to be that way. And it's definitely going for that. This one, it changes almost sometimes on a dime where it goes from a, from a joke to a really serious or really intense scene. And then there are random things that happen in scenes when they're trying to be funny, like, when they go to the rock concert and they didn't, they decide to start, they decide to try and crowd surf. And then the token black person in this movie, which is the, which is the lady, <laughs> she goes to crowd surf herself and they all kind of move out of the way. And she goes, Oh, I don't okay. I don't know if this is a, is it, this is a race thing or whatever. And I'm just like, how did we get yeah. to this point though? There are not enough logical steps for us to get to this point. Because it's, that was the thing in the original, the jokes were just so complex that the scene that they were in made so much sense and was so complex, but so funny at the same time that it worked. And kind of going on to some more things that we may or may not have talked about. One thing I also didn't talk about earlier when when I was ranting about the climax, but once again, like everything else is in in this movie, it's a cliche, we have a giant beam in the sky again. If there isn't anything that cemented this film's cliche, it was probably that. Because it just everything in this movie is pushing this climax. It just keeps going. And it's like, oh, we could do this. This would be fun. And this would be, you know, um, this would be serious. And 
all sorts of stuff. And it doesn't go anywhere. And like you said, you brought up a really good point. There are no repercussions in this movie. Nothing that these characters do really make a lasting impact. Which, in my opinion, then why on earth? What are you trying to say? And I get it. We talked about earlier some of the feminist things are kind of interesting. And they have some pretty good ideals that they wanted that they're trying to talk about. And that's fine. There's something wrong with that. Like we talked about. I did, we just, as we mentioned, we just wish it was a bit... And they explored it more. That's not to say we don't agree with it. That's actually quite the opposite. But we wish that they had explored those ideals more. But like I said in the very beginning of this podcast, if I was to boil this film down into one sentence, it would be, here's the joke, let's explain it. And that's my bottom line, probably biggest issue, is that they take a joke and say, oh, this would be funny, and they just stretch it out and add logical steps that aren't logical to get to. And it just makes no sense. And at the very end of the scene, it's not funny anymore because they over-explained everything. And this movie, kind of going off of that, this movie is so 21st century cliche movie that it hurts. And like I said earlier, this film never shuts up. And I, there are points in it where I had to pause it and I had to be like, okay, all right, let's keep going because it things just kept coming from left to right and just wouldn't stop and it would never stop and it just kept coming and <sighs> so honestly at the end of this movie I was frustrated. I was not happy. Once the credits began, I paused it and shut my laptop and I said, "Glad that's over." <laughs> because that ending killed me. For me, honestly, there are things in this movie that do give it some credit. But at the end of the day, are you really going to remember it? No, I won't. In fact, I forgot most of this movie from the two days ago that I watched it. And I had to look back at my notes and make, oh yeah, that happened. So, no. This is an absolutely not recommend. And I wish I didn't have to say that. Because I wanted this Ghostbusters, this was a good time for this Ghostbusters movie to come out. It was actually relevant, unlike a lot of remakes or sequels that are coming out today. So I can't recommend it. And for me, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. It's not enjoyable for me. I Some may like it. It's It comes off as more of a generic chick flick at times. And though I think we mentioned this earlier. Some of the men characters, some of the guy characters in this movie kind of feel like idiots. But I do like that they didn't go, they didn't fully take that idea on. Every single guy character is an idiot. Just the big ones, essentially. So for me, no. Not recommend. Absolutely not. 4 out of 10. For me, this remake of Ghostbusters, going into it, I was thinking, okay, they've got to do something different, and in some ways they need to make it better than the original, or else what's the point? Right. Because we already have the original movie, okay? So, you've got to do something unique and new that's going to pull me in as an audience member and make me appreciate it, or make me even enjoy it a little bit more. Or, or in its own respect, enjoy it, if that makes sense. Sadly, I was going, I went in with an open mind. I absolutely did, and I thought the hook was very Scooby-Doo-ish, but I thought this is a, a decent hook, even though it's cliche, I was interested. And I honestly thought that opening was somehow going to be tied back, like that, that was going to be like the focal piece of the movie that was going to be the villain this was setting us up for the villain but no it wasn't we don't get that for quite a while so like i said this is more so ghostbusters begins it spends way too time 
focused on these really rote one note characters that don't bring a lot of depth the humor is it, it, it really falls flat in a lot of areas because sometimes i'm like haha that's funny not very often i was just laughing throughout the original ghostbusters so much but this one i was just shocked i'm like really is this i don't watch snl i'm like maybe this is the caliber of snl now maybe this is what they're cranking out now uh just honestly it's kind of bland jokes where i'm like this is really surface level stuff you're not using the situation very well it's just uh you could tell what what they were trying to do with that so i was very disappointed to find the humor was flat i also found i can only speak from experience with the extended cut uh i technically got the theatrical experience plus 20 more minutes so the pacing was horrible so it's kind of funny because Alan said I could recommend it for what came before the climax. And I was like, oh, the climax is somewhat redemptive for this movie because otherwise the movie was so long and bland. I was like, oh, man, I'm having bad flashbacks to the sequel. <laughs> so the, the pacing, yeah, it really didn't grab my interest. I really didn't. If I'm not caring about the characters, I'm not going to care about what's going on with the plot in the movie. So if they can't hook me with the characters, then I felt the plot to be incredibly cliche and just not very inventive. So by the time we did get to the climax, I was really glad we were there. Uh, I think they missed missed a lot of opportunities to actually focus on busting ghosts, capturing ghosts, instead of just doing mixed martial arts with them or maybe getting one or two, not really even ghosts, they were just like monsters for the most part or... I don't know, crazy skeleton creatures or electric things. I don't know. When the exposition was there, it was unappreciated. And then there needed to be certain expositions in places that just left me confused. So overall, I I went in with an open mind. But then at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I know this movie is just going to be bad. And I was right. This movie, Ghostbusters, is a very pointless remake it's an unworthy addition to the franchise so i'm not going to give it a four i'm going to give it a five the reason i'm giving it a five it's still a not recommend but i'm giving it a five because there was some competence to at least what was done it wasn't like totally just like the second like the sequel I don't know, it did so many things wrong. It was just like so bad. I'm like, okay, this is legitimately terrible. Whereas this one, like Alan said earlier, it was playing it safe. So, but it was playing it safe to a fault. So that's why I'm like, okay, I guess the average viewer could watch this movie and be fine with it. Uh, There's nothing terribly offensive in it that would make you just want to shut it off. But at the same time, there's nothing that really keeps you staying there. Right. So overall, I'm giving it five stars out of ten and a not recommend. Right. And for me to like, I, I probably should have said this earlier. I also tried to go in with an open mind. Um, in fact, I was watching with my with my roommate and my brother, and about halfway in, I deposit for I deposited something real quick, and they had asked me, well, "What do you think so far?" And I was like, "Well, it's not too bad. I actually, kind of, it's it's all right. You know, like nothing terrible has really happened yet." And I was hoping that this would stay constant, and I didn't know what they were talking about because before the movie they said that was terrible, it's bad. 
And I was like, yeah, sure, okay, well, I'll we'll find out when I watch it. And then about halfway through, where they had asked me, and I said, well, right now it's it's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong. That's terribly wrong. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, just wait. And then they were right. The <laughs> the climax for me is what it was. What did it? After that, I was like, Mm-mm. I tried to go in with as open mind as possible, but it didn't work for me. You weren't very invested, were you? Throughout the movie. I mean, was it kind of boring for you? Yeah, parts of it definitely were boring. I'm like, let's pick it up. Let's pick it up. Where are we going? That's why I'm just like, why? Why did we need this movie? Like, if this is all we're going to do, then why? Right. If this is all we're going to do, then why? And it was paced in such a way where it wasn't really all that boring just because it was everything was going by just so quick. Not now, albeit not really anything of substance, but there were things there. For me, that's what, that's what I thought too. But maybe if you watch the theatrical cut, maybe you'll have a different opinion than I do. Tell me, this seems a lot like following the structure of Batman Begins with them like, like it kind of sets up the characters and there's all these like training and they're like, this is our equipment and we're not really here yet. And then they get their suits and the bad guy is kind of being built up in the shadows. And then finally we get it like a fight with him at the end. Now, Batman Begins, I, I think is great. Yeah. But I'm just saying this felt like Ghostbusters Begins. Yeah. But with Bud meets Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It's just weird. That's, I can definitely see that. That's just, why I'm saying this film also likes to play it very safe, which is not good on its part. A quick bit of trivia before we say goodbye and close the books for now on our Ghostbusters retrospective. I did a little investigating and the inflation. Okay, so Dan Aykroyd wanted a budget of $150 million in, let's say, 1990 for his third Ghostbusters movie. Well, in 2017, that would have been a budget of $283 million. Holy cow. Close to $300 million for a budget, which... We, you only see mega hit gigantic blockbusters get that kind of stuff. Like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, I believe, is still holds the crown, if I'm not mistaken, Four. as being the most expensive film ever made, which is $350 million. Yes, and it's, and it's possible that Batman v Superman, once it's all done and said, had a budget close to $400 million or slightly over... I don't know, and they're saying Justice League is going to be over three hundred million, around the three hundred fifty, somewhere around there. I don't right. know, but clearly, though, a budget for those kind of movies would make more sense than Ghostbusters, which had a box office flop pretty much right. for the second one, where it was really underappreciated and nobody, nobody was eager to come back and give them right. an insanely big budget. Uh, so. Oh, well. Anyways, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us on our Ghostbusters retrospective series. I had a lot of fun reviewing these movies. <laughs> Even though the first one was the only good one and the other two were flops for me. Yeah. Honestly, and it's just kind of funny because I would say for like my personal order, there were times when I was watching this new one that made me miss like the simplicity of the sequel with certain aspects and almost the lightheartedness of it. But then I was also like, no, that movie was so bad. You couldn't barely stand it. But going off of my ratings, my personal order would be the 1984 Ghostbusters, 
Ghostbusters 2016 and then Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, there are part honestly, there are parts of this movie that did make me miss Ghostbusters 2. Where I'm just like, man, they did that better. Ghostbusters 2 did. Yeah. Even though it wasn't, even though it still wasn't very good for me, I would say it just kind of goes on the line. First is best, and the second one, and then the new one. Sure. So, so the new one was last for your personal. Yeah, they, for me, it just kind of was a staircase. It just kind of goes down in quality. Yeah, and that's reflective of your ratings yeah. for the film. But anyways, just thought I'd give you our personal orders of the films before we close the books on this retrospective series. We want to thank you for joining us on this ride for the ups and the downs. More downs than ups. And or downs and ups, yep. so depending on who you are and which way you look at it. But we promise that the next retrospective series, well, I think it might be a little divisive because people, there's some like really big fans of these movies, and then I know some people have some issues with, I would guess, say, like the storytelling structure. Yeah. And just issues with uh, Neil Blomkamp in general with how he conducts his movies. But I'm excited to do this retrospective series. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we are doing the... It's not a trilogy, but it's a Neil Blanc camp trilogy, I guess, if you could call that. So we are beginning with his first film, District 9. Then we are moving on to Elysium. And with his, and then finally we're closing it with his latest film, Chappie. So that is our next retrospective series to look yeah. out for. And I've always seen one of these. The one I saw was Elysium. And I, it's been a while since I've seen it. It's kind of funny. I own this on Blu-ray, but I haven't watched it. Well, that's a lie. I did watch it a couple of years ago. But from what I remember, I seem to enjoy it. But I guess we'll find out with yeah. a more critical eye on it this time. And the other two. I haven't Absolutely. seen the other two at all. So I'm curious. Absolutely. So make sure to get those movies ready to rent. Because I'm, re I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay. I did go ahead and buy the uh, box set, the Neil Blomkamp box set. It's a very nice looking box set. I wish I could show you all. I've seen but it. But sadly, nice. you can't through... Through the microphone, can't mm -hmm. do that. And this year, just a sneak peek teaser this year, we will be closing out with our Christmas Day special of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. A absolute classic. So excited. This is a family classic for me. We're both very excited to review that. So that will close out the year. But before that, make sure to join us for the Neil Blomkamp retrospective series. Uh, we want to say thank you again for joining us. And we really look forward to seeing you next time.